dog has enough food to feed the world. Why wouldn't there so many of us that there are people still to known? Why are the lizards called peacekeepers when there ain't to kill? Why is a woman still not safe when she's in her home? Love is hate, war is peace, no is yes, we're all free. is coming soon amidst all these questions and contradictions there's some who seek the truth but tell me why do the baby star there's enough food to feed the world why wouldn't there so many of us if there are people still alone why all the myths called peacekeepers when they're aimed to kill why is a woman still not safe when she's in her home love is hate war is peace Oh, his yes, we're all free. But somebody's gonna have to answer. The time is coming soon when the blind remove their blinders and the streets are speaking true. Tell me, why do the baby star? There's enough food to feed the world. Why wouldn't there so many of us that there are people still alone? Why are the missiles called peacekeepers when they're aimed to kill? Why is a woman still not safe when she's in her home? Love is hate, war is peace, no is yes, we're all free.
To honor the 2021 Spring Equinox, Nishan Ohlone leader Karina Gould called on supporters to encircle her people's recently imprisoned sacred site, the West Berkeley Shell Mound. They joined her for a day of civil disobedience, art, and a candlelight vigil surrounding the sacred site at sunset. whenever I sing their songs for their sacrifices that they made so that these songs and traditions could be here for us today. Karina's brother is one of our ancestors. We sing and pray for him right now in this moment. Oh. So day for me and I um, I want to say that um, I appreciate everyone's kind words and their love and their prayers for our family right now we're in mourning I lost my brother on Thursday night and I wasn't expecting to even be here today in morning, we should be home for at least four days. But at this time, we're saving a sacred site, a place that thousands of us have come 
for many years to protect. Those of you that don't know, this sacred site has been landmarked for over 20 years by the city of Berkeley. It qualifies for a National Historic Landmark. In 2020, it was designated one of the 11 most endangered historic sites in the country. Dana Ellsworth wants to develop this site. In February of this year, we went into appeals court, but we were on Zoom courtland. Rugen Ells decided to put up a six-foot fence with barbed wire to imprison our sacred site. I am hurt by this. During COVID, my family, friends, relatives came to this sacred site two to three times a week and prayed on this land and walked the circumference that continuous prayer that we have been putting down here for the last five years of this fight. My ancestors have been praying here for thousands and thousands of years. And now we see this ugliness that goes up. Over a week ago, we implored people to come out and put up good messages, prayers, artwork, things from the heart. And then Rugen else paid someone to come and take down our good intentions. So we're here today to put up this voice even louder. I want to thank those that came out and gave their time and energy to put this beautiful mural on the street here to remind people that even if they take down our ribbons, that this sacred site mural is here to stay. We do not stand here as Lashawn people alone. We stand here with all of you who have made your homes on our lands. This is living in reciprocity. This is rematriation. This is what it looks like to live in community. This is what it looks like for our people to stand together against oppressions of all kinds. We are here to take down the walls. We are not defeated. just played a video from Free the West Berkeley Shell Mound that was um, created by the Sacred I had just Land Film Project, and that came out um, on April 16, 2021, and we'll provide a link to that on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. Also, I want to encourage folks to check out our Land Acknowledgement tab there. There you can find ways to support uh, folks. Ah, excuse me. Um, you can help preserve the West Berkeley Shell Mound site, and you can either donate and or help spread the word. There's a whole site dedicated to this uh, one particular space here in Berkeley. 
um, across the Bay in Berkeley. If you go to shellmound.org, and they have a lot of information there as well as take action uh, and resources and historic maps. And also, I would encourage folks, if you're able to donate to the Segorote Land Trust, which is also in the East Bay. And also, on our land acknowledgement tab, we also have a thread of native news outlets and lots more information. So please do check that out. Again, go to uh, shellmound.org and uh, weeklyrap.org forward slash land acknowledgement. Or click on the land acknowledgement tab and there more information as well. So thanks so much for tuning in. It is May 21st, 2021. We're broadcasting from Mutiny Radio and we're on Ramatouche Ohlone land. And we have um, music and news stories here today. Oh, and the mic stand has come off in my hand as is known to happen. <sighs> thanks so much for tuning in. Start off with some music as we often do on the show just to get me... Uh, I don't want to say pumped up necessarily, cause it, but I guess maybe, yeah, pumped up because it's helpful to have some art and some music to be ready to, to tackle a bit of what's going on in the world. And it's it's not easy, and oftentimes it feels more uh, simple to, I guess, turn away. But when we turn away, uh, it's kind of harder to deal with things. And here I am. I'm holding, you can't see, since this is radio, obviously, but I've got the mic stand in my hand like uh, Axl Rose, only I'm not screaming, and I'm not uh, only wearing uh, American flag underwear. See, I try to put in uh, some pop culture references in with this, uh, with the news to add some levity to it. Start off the show with some music, uh, Left of the Dial, the 2008 remaster by The Replacements, then Why, um, off Tracy Chapman's amazing uh, debut album, and then... Uh, SGL by a band called Now Now. And we'll be playing some more music throughout the program. Uh, it's just a nice palate cleanser, as it were. And oftentimes music says more than one can with words. I've got a lot of news articles to get to, as well as an interview. I'm going to play an interview that I did earlier this week with uh, Carlos. A big thanks to Carlos for um, making the time to speak uh, with me. And we talk a bit about how's the bay. And uh, just a note, there was a an error on my part. I was thinking of Prop C and I said Prop I, but we'll talk about that as well. So, and also just be sharing a lot of more action items as well that folks can participate in. That's one thing that I uh, hope to achieve here is that, yes, things are backwards and fucked up. And every morning uh, and when I make the mistake of checking Twitter, I'm like, oh, shit, there's some more terrible things that are happening and it feels hopeless. And also try to remember that there are so many people who have been organizing for ages to make it so that we can live in a, in a just world. So I do want to, we'll be providing some other items that folks can take, uh, anything from signing a petition to donating money to spreading the word to just uh, infor like accurate information to knowing what's going on to analysis. There's so much, so many ways to show up. And I think, woo, uh, I'm going to get this uh, as soon as the interview starts playing. I'm going to uh, fix this microphone did want to share um, a, a petition, a very simple thing that um, folks can sign. It's from change.org, and we'll provide a link on our website, weeklyrev.org. And also, uh, folks can follow me on Twitter, and I share a lot of information that way as well. Um, much of it does not make it to the show because we only have a limited amount of time here on Fridays, but we'll also be sharing the link there. And this is Acquire 1,000 Hotel Rooms for Unhoused San Franciscans Stop the Revolving Door. I will read a little bit about this. And this uh, petition has been started by the Coalition on Homelessness, San Francisco. And this is for Mayor London Breed. And let's see here. 
All right, computer. Let's do this. One moment here. Get this all set up. And for some reason, um, having some issues with the browser. That's lovely. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and play this interview, and then afterwards, um, I'll share more information. So, uh, yeah, please do stay tuned. And again, big thanks to Carlos for taking the time to speak. And it's about 15 minutes or so. I'll check back in after. So please do stay tuned. All right, and welcome. If you would like to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, please. Hi there. Uh, my name is Carlos. I'm an organizer with House of the Bay, uh, as well as with the Coalition on Homelessness in San Francisco. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. I thought we could start um, by just t talking a little bit about House of the Bay and the, uh, the organization itself. Yeah, so um, House of the Bay is... Um, kind of horizontal organization in the Bay Area. Um, a lot of folks are in Oakland. And we started in May Day of 2020, and how I got pulled in was to help on an action, which was to um, take over a home in the Castro District of San Francisco and, and put two homeless women into it, similar to the Moms for Housing action that had happened a few months before that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I got pulled in to help do some kind of some comms work around that. and. A lot of folks got pulled in to help make that happen, and it was it was kind of a big, really big action at the end of a Mayday caravan in San Francisco. It got a lot of attention, um, and since then we've we focused on kind of that ethos of taking these vacant homes that speculators are sitting on, that um, huge landlord companies are sitting on, and turning them into homes for our neighbors um, in throughout the Bay. Excellent, and that one from 2020 that was with Cooper, correct? Yeah. Okay, yes, I remember hearing about it. That's, yeah. Yeah, and, and while that one was, um, like, a, it was a big, big moment, it was also, um, at the end of the day, the cops were able to evict them, so it was, it was a big learning mm -hmm. for us as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there are so many empty homes here. It, seems it's just ridiculous i know it's you know pretty much preaching to the choir here but it just makes no sense that these homes should be empty while there are so many folks who need housing yeah yeah i mean there's there's well more than enough homes to house everyone who's homeless in the bay several times over mm -hmm. um, but of course we don't do that no um so i guess maybe following up on the the 2020 action and I remember reading about it at the time, but I was curious as to why were the cops called? Um, oh, geez, I'd have to remember. But I, I believe the, the, the property manager was tipped off, mm. um, came down and called the police was what happened there. But I might be misremembering things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and that was there was also big news that day. Um, when the cops came down, they were, were all wearing thin blue line right. um, from the SFPOA, and there was a bunch of them. It was actually a pretty violent response for what it was just an eviction, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of blew up. Yeah. Oh. So, yet another reason for the to despise the cops, but that seems right. to happen every every week. Um. Yeah, so I was curious, um, 
so you became involved um, that time last year. I thought maybe um, for for what you're aware of, just in terms of the um, what else kind of led into the uh, creation of the organization. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a, a super unique or um, a first of its kind organization. I mean, we there's a lot of organizations across the country that do similar things. Obviously, Homes Not Jails in the Bay Area. There's Mm-hmm. There's a long history in the Bay Area um, that I wouldn't be the best to talk about of folks squatting, um, people taking vacant properties. Um, and and the Moms for Housing incident for me personally was like really... Oh, right. Um, and for folks who didn't see that, basically these, these homeless mothers did a similar thing, took over a vacant home in Oakland. Um, and were actually able to stay there for quite a while. Um, then they were able to get it where the eviction had to go to court um but eventually they were in court evicted and then the day of the eviction they called they had made calls out for people to come defend the home and i'm not from oakland i'm from san francisco um this was kind of my first time doing something in oakland and it was just hundreds of people showed up um to stand in front of this home and the cops basically just didn't come that night um, they were like parked around the corner, and because of how many people showed up, they they didn't want to do the eviction. Um, and that was really inspiring, and like for me, and I think kind of a kick in the butt to like this history of squatting of like this is totally possible. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, the next morning, of course, at, like five in the morning, the cops showed up with like armored vehicles, <sighs> right? A military engagement. Um, yeah. But that, but yeah, that was kind of um, I think the two things of people doing this all around the country, the long history of this happening in the Bay Area, and then like that catalyzing moment of moms for housing. Mm-hmm. And just how important it is for folks to show up if they're able to support. Right. Right. This idea that like we don't have to wait for the city or the state to like help people to loosen to up and do it. Yeah, definitely. Especially since the city and the state seem to take their time with doing much to to help people. Yeah. And that's that's kind of one of like the the main messages of, of this made is action. We we can't wait for people like it's not just that we don't have to wait for the city and state to do it, it's that we really um and we have the power to just to just do this ourselves and we, we need to be doing so. Mm-hmm. I was curious if you had any words of wisdom for folks. I imagine I know that there are similar places like this in, in other parts of the country, but I was curious, any words of inspiration for folks who might be wanting to uh, try this out where they are? Yeah, um, my my words of words of inspiration are just that you can do it. Like it's it's obviously you need, you should do your research and like have a plan. And there is on housethebay.org, you can check out um, a zine adapted from, from Homes Not Jails of like the different steps and the, the roles that need to happen and how to do this. But it's not like an impossible task. It's it's something that you and a few friends can just do. Um, and whether it's y'all who need housing or you know someone who needs housing, um, you know, a vacant vacant house in your neighborhood or someone else's neighborhood, like you can you can scout and and do this and it's totally possible to do it under the radar and just to just have a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks. Yeah, last week I ended up reading the um the the pamphlet from uh, the homes not jails so I read it all the way through on the air and I, I learned a lot from that just in terms right. of techniques to use and even though it was you know mostly based in San Francisco I still felt that there were a lot of um, 
pointers that could help folks regardless of where they are. Yeah, definitely. I think um, when it comes to like where you are uh, geographically, there might be some different legal um, understanding you should have, or you should, it should always be an assessment of what risks you're taking, and that's going to change mm -hmm. based on different area. But yeah, the fundamental idea of like how to turn this investment property into a home is is universal, I think. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and I was also just curious if we could talk maybe a little bit about the Coalition on Homelessness. Yeah, just think about the organization. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that uh, Jennifer Friedenbach was on the show, I think, back in 2015. So it was a while ago. Um, but I've just I've learned so much um, since I became aware of the organization. And I just appreciate all the folks involved with what you all do. So I thought maybe we could talk um, for whatever you're able to share about the organization and ways that folks can help support it. Yeah, so Co um, was was founded in the '80s. Um, kind of, it was founded by some unhoused folks as kind of a response to the city's response to homelessness. Um, homelessness, as like a crisis, kind of blew up in the '80s, at least in San Francisco. And the initial response was like very much not, obviously, and it's today's response still. It was not meeting the needs of like what folks who were experiencing homelessness actually wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so it was some folks staying in a shelter here. Um, at a drop-in, they kind of came up with the identity to just advocate for themselves and make their own organization um, as like kind of supplanting themselves as the experts on homelessness rather than like these policy wonks or whoever the city would be right. policy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was just going to comment. I remember when they were talking about doing, this was like in the mission a few years ago, doing one of the... Um, the, the sites and they just had not, I think none of the people on the committee had ever experienced homelessness themselves and so it's very much it's often the people who create the policy are not people who it directly affects so it's so important just for the folks who um, have been through it to be the ones making the decisions yeah definitely and I mean like not to be cynical but the people who craft homeless policy they're not doing so out of the interests of, of people on the street they're doing so out of, out of the city's interest out of the mm -hmm. business's interest homeowners mm -hmm. um, and uh, we see that obviously in the legislation and the policies that exist now is that they're they're meant to make house people more comfortable and to make the city um run better economically not to actually help people and so yeah that's kind of the idea of the coalition homelessness is to assert that that voice to organize unhoused folks to raise their political profile um and get the solutions the permanent solutions that they need not what's convenient for the city mm -hmm. And then also, of course, it goes back into just the gentrification and the folks who are new to the city calling cops on people and the resources right. in the city, unfortunately, going towards the cops instead of towards uh, folks who, who need it to provide housing and health care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was um, curious if there are any updates on Prop I, which I know passed a couple it's hard to keep track of time, especially these days, but I know that that passed pretty, maybe within the last, maybe two years ago, and that was going to um, tax, like, the businesses, correct? Um, so Prop C was 2018. Prop oh, I was... okay. I'm sorry. My mistake. Yeah. Are you, are you asking about Prop C, though? Yes. Are yes, I meant Prop C. Sorry about that. Cool. That's much more in our ballpark than Prop I. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also cool. But Prop C, yeah, it's like a, um, oh, geez, this is, um, so Prop C was like a, a tax on businesses, um, a pretty small tax, 
but it raised enough money to like double the homeless budget from 300 million to 600 million. Mm-hmm. And what I find cool about Propsy, what I enjoy about it, is that the the spending is pretty well written out to where like it's not just like a blank check to the mayor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's written in the law that it has to be used 50% on housing, um, 10% on shelters. And I can't break down all percentages, but like certain percentage on behavioral health, um, mm-hmm. family, right? Like it's broken down that that money has to be spent. And the big part is 50% on housing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, there's also an oversight board that like is community-based that kind of just sends the recommendations of how that money should be spent. And we'll see this year if the mayor does them. Um, but yeah, it was it was held up in court for the, for the two years because the, the Chamber of Commerce and some other folks sued. Mm, um, oh, right, right. Oh, even though it passed with like 60%, they sued to make it not a law. <sighs> And it was an unsuccessful lawsuit, but it held up the money to where the money was being collected, but not being able to spend. This is the mm-hmm. first thing that can actually be spent. And, and it's in the mayor's office right now. We'll see what the budget looks like. But yeah, pretty exciting. That it's actually going to come to fruition after years. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it's also that thing where I, like many folks can be very skeptical of certain bills and certain politicians. But when there's something that actually passes and can come through to help people it, it is exciting right yeah it is and it's um you know in my position at co i i focus more on on street level issues than like so like we have people who focus on like the house of antagonism so it is helpful to see like these permanent solutions are possible and are like there's an unsuccessful lawsuit, but it held up well written out to where like it's not just like a blank check to the mayor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's written in the law that it has to be used 50% on housing, um, 10% on shelters. And I can't break down all percentages, but like certain percentage on behavioral health, um, mm-hmm. family, right? Like it's broken down that that money has to be spent. And the big part is 50% on housing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, there's also an oversight board that like is community based that kind of just sends the recommendations of how that money should be spent, and we'll see this year if the mayor does them. Um, but yeah, it was it was held up in court for the for the two years because the, the Chamber of Commerce and some other folks sued. Um, oh right, right. Oh, even though it passed with like sixty percent, they sued to make it not a law. <sighs> and it was an it was an unsuccessful lawsuit, but it held up the money to where the money was being collected but not being able to spend. This is the first mm. thing that can actually be spent, and, and it's in the mayor's office right now. We'll see what the budget looks like, but yeah, pretty exciting that it's actually going to come to fruition after years. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it's also that thing where, I, like many folks, can be very skeptical of certain bills and certain politicians, but when there's something that actually passes and can come through to help people, it, it is exciting. Right, yeah, it is. And it's... um. You know, in my position at Co, I, I focus more on on street level issues than like so like we have people who focus on like the housing and like the permanent solutions, and we have people mm-hmm. on like criminalization and the human rights abuses going on in the street. And I'm in the latter category, mm-hmm. so it's my job is is very much not a hopeful one. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of antagonism, so it is helpful to see like these permanent solutions are possible and are like in the works, but we need to be holding both lines as we as we get there. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and something else I'll just mention for listeners is to just to promote the street sheet. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we have um the street sheet, which is our newspaper. We've been selling it for a while now. Um, every month we have a new issue. Um, you can go to streetsheet.org to read them, or if you live in San Francisco, you can find a vendor on the streets. Um, see if I can think of one. One hangs out in the Castro, uh, right on Castro, outside of Harvey's. He's in a wheelchair. He hangs out there. One yes. hangs out about grocery and soma. Um, but I mean, there's a bunch of vendors everywhere, and you can find one. It's like two dollars, um, for a street sheet, and yeah, see what's going on this month. Yeah, I think there's also there's one in Berkeley as well. That's like a not street sheet, but like a, a similar uh, paper as well. And I think yeah. we have also just been in other. I think in Chicago there was one. Or two. I mean, it makes sense, of course, that different places have their own versions of it. But I feel like it's one really helpful way for folks to be able to support people. Yeah, definitely. As and also yeah. learn a lot. Yeah, see what kind of see what's going on. Um, a lot of the the author journalists that we use in street sheet are um currently or formerly unhoused or they work at co or they um, you know work in similar fields so kind of ground up perspective on what's going on cool okay is there anything else you wanted to i know we've kind of moved through things very very quickly but wanted to check in to see if there's anything else you wanted to share um yeah just just want to double back on the first point um about how's the bay which is that there's I mean, I don't, I don't know the stats for every city, every city, but in our in our area of the world, um, there are thousands of unhoused people throughout the Bay, um, and thousands more homes. And we've we've learned, and other folks have shown us before that like it is very possible for us to house them on mm-hmm. an individual basis on our own. Um, and I would encourage y'all to start reading and, and start doing so. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, th- well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Yeah, thank you, Roman. All right. Okay, again, big thank you to Carlos and all the folks at How's the Bay. And we'll be providing a lot of links that we mentioned uh, during this interview on our website at weeklyrev.org, and that uh, post should be up later today. So please do stay tuned for that. We're going to take another music break, and then we'll be back in a bit. So please do stay tuned.
and welcome back. Nice little block of music there, and we got some more kind of on the way. That was The Reeling by Passion Pit. Before that, we heard Never Give Up by a band called Eat My Fear. I think I read about them in the uh, Straight Edge Punk book uh, I mentioned on the show previously. And then Aphex Twin with Extal. So got uh, things to things, lots of things to say here. Oh, boy. Okay. So I did mention that there was a petition um, that folks can sign. It's uh, from change.org, and we'll provide a link on our website. Acquire 1,000 hotel rooms for unhoused San Franciscans. Stop the revolving door. San Francisco has an unprecedented opportunity to provide permanent supportive housing for thousands of our unhoused neighbors, ending the revolving door approach of street sweeps and tent encampments and improving public health and safety for all San Franciscans. Homelessness always has been a public health crisis for those who are unhoused, but the COVID-19 pandemic demonstrates that the well-being of the entire community is only as secure as its most vulnerable members. Moving thousands of our unhoused neighbors into hotels to shelter in place with support services proved to be a successful model for addressing this public health crisis. The passage of Prop A and Prop C provided the city with much-needed resources to fund housing acquisition and ongoing support services. In addition to these local resources, we have a unique window of opportunity to invest one-time state and federal funding to expand the stock of permanent supportive housing. California's Project Home Key, the American Rescue Plan, and FEMA reimbursements to the city can be leveraged to acquire 1,000 units of permanent supportive housing, building upon what the mayor's homeless recovery plan currently envisions using only local funding sources. Uh, these additional 1,000 units of housing represent an investment in the future of our city and a commitment to renewing the soul of San Francisco as we emerge from this terrible pandemic. This is doable, and the annual cost of ongoing support of people in permanent housing is less expensive than the annual cost of offering a temporary shelter bed. It is the smart thing to do, and it is the right thing to do. So this is a petition. So all you got to do, sign your name. Pretty... Uh, open and shut case. Is it a case? Not really. It's a petition, change.org, and uh, we'll share that on our webpage. Also, while I was uh, posting links, oftentimes when music or interviews are playing, I am updating the website and sharing links, and um, shared, I found, uh, thankfully, a, a PDF version of the pamphlet the zine, I mean, that uh, I read from a couple weeks ago called It's Vacant, Take It, uh, Homes Not Jail Squatting Zine with a lot of really great information, and you can find that at uh, sproutdistro.com, and we'll also provide a link for that, uh, the specific link. And then while I was there, I was also looking in other places, and there's also, from Food Not Bombs in San Francisco, they have a list of San Francisco empty and abandoned buildings, and this is through the first quarter of 2021, and it says, please note that this list contains the addresses from the San Francisco Department of Building Inspections database. We do not verify the building status. And then there is a list, let's count. I'm got, I mean, there's so many addresses that I can't read them, but these are, of course, like empty and abandoned buildings, and it's like, what? <sighs> You get it. It's like there's no reason that we should have people without housing when there are empty houses here. Uh, can you imagine like how advanced the human race could be if we weren't so fucking stupid and greedy? And uh, uh, yeah. And maybe that wasn't. I don't mean to sound harsh because not everyone is super, super stupid and greedy. It's just they're the ones with uh, in positions of power, I guess, and with militarized weapons. Anyway, oh, that's sad 
disturbing realization. All right, so one, two, okay, these are on Third Avenue, Fourth Avenue, Fourth Avenue. I mean, I could also read them aloud. I'm also gonna post them on their website, but I'm just trying to give you a, all a sense of just how many of these buildings in this small city, which is seven by seven miles, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. And this is just in the uh so far we're just in the Richmond, fourteen, fifteen, seventeen, eight, nine, twenty. I'll do a, a an estimate here. A few dozen at the very least. Oh wow. It's going and I'm scrolling down. And there's a couple here that are uh on the same street that Mutiny Radio is on. We're on twenty first street and it says that there's um wow, there's quite a few here. Twenty six sixty six, twenty first street, twenty nine eighty one, thirty nine fifty three, twenty first street. 4369 uh, 21st Street. I might just walk by some of these places if I can remember any of these numbers on my way out of here and just uh, take a little look. Take a little look-see. Hmm. Very fascinating. A lot. Wow, there's a lot here in the mission. Uh, 23rd, 24th. A lot on 24th Street. I used to live on 24th Street back in the day in a one-bedroom with two people. It was uh, something. All right. Uh, and I was grateful to have it. Okay. Lots of more streets. And that's just the number streets, then we're going to the name streets. Okay, it's more than a few dozen. There are probably hundreds. Um, hundreds, at least. Um, there must be some kind of way to do a, a count here. But holy shit, there's a lot of fucking empty buildings here. There's the Zoe Street here in San Francisco. I had no idea. And apparently, 49 Zoe Street is open. Or not open, but no one's living in it. Okay. Wowie. Wowie, wowie, wowie. Okay. Lots of information there. So again, if you go to the Food Not Bombs page, um, SFF, uh, excuse me, SF, I'm talking, oh, that must be that sugar in that granola bar I just ate. Woo, SFFNB.org. Uh, they have a list of San Francisco empty and abandoned buildings. Wow. All right. And we'll also share a link to that on our site. Whew. Also, <sighs> um, still um, ugh, just fucking bloodshed happening in Palestine. And um, did want to share um, this article. This is from Esquire, and this came out. What's the date? May 16th. So a few days ago, Palestinian filmmaker Ilya Suleiman to stream all his films for free. And this is the Arab uh, Film and Media Institute is holding a 10-day retrospective with every movie available on demand. I'm going to read a little bit about this. And this is articles by William Mullally. Uh, one of the great filmmakers in Arab history will be putting all of his films online for 10 days. So if you're listening to this before May 26th or May 25th, it should still be available. The Arab American National Museum, Arab Film and Media Institute, and Art East will be holding an Ilya Suleiman film retrospective of the legendary avant-garde Palestinian writer and director with all four of his films streaming in video on demand uh, style from May 21st, oh, to May 30th, great. So this article came out before this even started. So starting today, uh, that means every acclaimed film, including Chronicle of a Disappearance from 1996, Divine Intervention from 2002, The Time That Remains 2008, and It Must Be Heaven 2019 will be available to watch. Um, and it's free. On May 23rd, the director himself will be in a live talk back as well with tickets available online and you can register for both and they have a link. Um, Divine Intervention 2002 is perhaps his best-known film, a dark comedy about living under occupation in Palestine. The film won the jury prize at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival, one of the most prestigious awards in the film world. Suleiman's style is similar to French director Jacques Tati and Buster Keaton with an emphasis on visual humor and physicality. 
And if you want to explore more of Palestinian cinema, they have a list of 10 great films to watch available for free online. And if you want to catch up on Palestinian literature, they have 10 great books by Palestinian writers to track down. So again, we'll provide a link to this article with all the other links on our website at weeklyrev.org. That comes from a, uh, a voiceover class I took. Um, long story short, one thing I remembered is that uh, when you finish reading the tags to end on an up note, uh, so, you know, you can like hook in the listeners, like buy a blank, fill in the blank with any type of product you think I might want to sell, which is uh, hard because I don't really want to sell anything. I kind of want to just give things away, but you get it. Um, uh, that's why maybe I haven't made it uh, so far in advertising. Okay. Moving along. I think I had some more links here, but I don't know where they went. So perhaps, oh, wow. I haven't been talking very long at all. Um, I was going to say we should do another music break, but I just, just got back. So let's see if I can pull up. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, here's a good story. Um, I'm always happy for to have like stories that are positive because there's a lot of horrific things that are happening. But this is good news. More high schoolers are gender diverse than we thought. An unprecedented 9.2% of teens in a new study uh, didn't identify with the binary. And this is written by Brittany uh, de la Critaz, and this came out on May 20th, 2021. And this is from a site called Them, them them.us. And there's a photo of some uh, cute young people uh, in rainbow flags. And uh, yes, great, okay. A new study indicates that the number of gender diverse high schoolers may be much higher than previously thought by changing how questions about gender were presented. Researchers discovered that the number of team, teens, not teams, teens, um, but maybe along the line there will be teams as well. That would be great. Can you imagine if like 9.3% of like the NFL came out as non-binary? I, uh, wow. Speaking of which, um, NFL related, I think about Colin Kaepernick and there's a Ben and Jerry's flavor that is called change this world. That's like a, and part of the proceeds go to uh, the know your rights organization that Colin Kaepernick works with. So I guess there's my, that's the most plugging I'll be doing uh, this show, but check it out. There's also a non-dairy version, which is how I found out about it. Okay. Moving along. All right. Okay. The teens, where was I? By changing how questions about number of teens. Yes. Teens who identify outside uh, of a strict male or female binary may be more than five times higher than popular estimates. A commonly cited 2017 study by the centers, oh, the CDC, although those folks who told us to take off our masks, which I'm going to say not to, I'm going to say keep on those masks. <sighs> okay. And uh, prevention found that 1.8% of high school students identify themselves as trans. That survey asked students simply, are you transgender? And when I was in high school, even though I now identify as transgender, I don't know if... Uh, I would have had the foresight when I, granted, I was in high school 30 years ago. Oh, gosh. Was it really 30? No, it wasn't 30 years ago. It was less than 30 years ago, but we're, it's getting there. 20 years ago. No, in between. That's, that's my age range. In between 20 and 30 years ago, I was in high school. Wow. Long story short, I don't know if I would have identified as trans at that time. So, um, that's what they ask. They ask, are you transgender? But Dr. Casey Kidd and which is a great name an adolescent medicine fellow at the university of pittsburgh and lead author of a new study believed that the number of gender diverse students would be much higher if the question were posed in a different way and she was right 
For the study, published in May in the May 2021 issue of Pediatrics, researchers asked 3,168 students from 13 different Pittsburgh public high schools a more nuanced two-part question about gender. The first question asked for the sex the students were assigned at birth or the sex on their birth certificate, giving the binary options male or female. But the second question asked them to self-select which word or words, oh, I like it, I like having lots of choices, words best describe them, offering a wide array of options, girl, boy, trans girl, trans boy, gender queer, non-binary, and another identity. When students were asked to select from this broader range of choices, the number of teens who identified as gender diverse in some way rose significantly. In fact, 9.2% of high school students in the study claimed gender diversity as contrasted with the CDC's much lower 1.8 figure. Yeah, that's a lot lower. Our goal was to understand the prevalence of gender diverse identities among high school students in our Pittsburgh excuse me, <laughs> Pittsburgh dis School District by asking what we considered to be and what many scholars considered to be a more inclusive question about gender identity, Kidd told KCTV. We came in suspecting that this two-step gender identity question would demonstrate a higher prevalence of gender diversity than in prior studies. The study also differed from previous research by examining a more diverse population. Much of the existing research in this area has been conducted in clinical settings which tend to skew white and masculine identifying. It's possible that the number of gender diverse teens could be even higher if the questions were posed with even more options. Current polling data suggests that Generation Z are those born between 1997 and 2012, wow, is the queerest generation in history. Yay! Um, pew, 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 pew! I'm setting off fictional fireworks? I don't know. There was a horn. All right, let me get the horn. I have to make this show somewhat more fun because it's so depressing. Okay, so this is for Generation Z. Oh, that was kind of loud. Oh, okay, sound effects, yay! Great. Uh, those, okay. Um, Generation Z is the queerest generation in history, surpassing even millennials. Additionally, a Gallup poll released earlier this year found that 11.3% of LGBTQ plus adults are transgender. Yay us! Yay! I don't like loud noises. Okay. Experts believe it's not the case that the percentage of people who are transgender is not necessarily on the rise. Rather, as more language has developed for expansive gender identities and LGBTQ plus visibility and acceptance have increased, more young people feel comfortable openly rejecting the limitations of cisgender identity at an earlier age than they would have otherwise, regardless of what kind of sex and gender system existed in a particular society at a given time, there are pretty much consistently always folks um, who stray from those norms. Jules Gill Peterson, an associate professor of English and of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies at the University of Pittsburgh, told KCTV. And then that says, uh, Gill Peterson did not work on this study. And and <clears throat> and there's another story that's linked here, and I'll get, oh, let me just finish this one. Um, As a rising generation of LGBTQ plus youth continue to challenge these norms, those norms, it's not surprising that more of them feel free to explore more expansive ideas of what their gender might look like. That is amazing. I, wow, that's good news. Okay. And then there's an article here on the side. I'm not going to read, but I wanted to share at least the headline. 50% of Gen Zers believe traditional gender norms are outdated. And a majority of people across generations agree, <clears throat> excuse me, that society will ascribe less to gender stereotypes within the next decade, according to a new report. 
that's great. And it also makes all those fuckers who are trying to write all these anti-trans bills uh, look even fucking more ghoulish and stupid than they already are. Yeah. So coming off, uh, still angry because I'm thinking about those bills, but also super optimistic about how young folks are having, um, the, I guess, more room to explore and to self-identify, and I think that's awesome. Great. All right. I'm going to play some more music. So here's another three-song um, music break. And here we go. I guess I'll start off with this other song uh, that I was going to play, and it fits in quite well the last story we read. It's called Gender is Boring by She, Her, Hers. to be a princess. I never asked anyone to braid my hair. I never asked my mom to buy me things that I saw on the TV marketed towards girls. I never wanted to wear a dress. And I was never obsessed with the color pink or sparkly things, unicorns or fucking fairy wings. Gender never really meant that much to me. Until people started telling me how it was supposed to be. Until the people that I love started to say, Talk that way, boys. Don't dress that way, boys. Don't act that way.
Thank you. 
Wow, welcome back. I could just keep on playing music, and I sometimes I just might. <laughs> Did want to get to a few more news stories here. Um, the last few songs we heard was Faith Healer by Julian Baker, uh, The Shackletons with Exactly What It Looks Like, She's in Parties by Bauhaus, and Gender is Boring by She, Her, Hers. So I will, uh, oof, there's a lot to get to, and I'll just share a little bit there just to note that there were um, some massive demonstrations throughout the world uh, in solidarity with Palestine, and I was reading about one. There was 250,000 protesters in Detroit on May 18th, and uh, just seeing a lot more uh, photos and footage from around the world. So I did want to share that, as well as uh, folks who are looking to block ports as well. Uh, that's very vague, but there's there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Um, yeah, so I wanted to note that, and also wanted to share oh, um, some not-so-great news, because that's unfortunately what happens when you live in the world. There's some not-so-great news to, sh to share. And this is a, f a thread from uh, Alec uh, Karakatsanis. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Alec Karakatsanis. Sorry. Alec Karakatsanis. Ugh, I apologize, and that's K-R-K-A-R-A-K-A-T-S-A-N-I-S. I guess it's uh, about that time. I understand now why folks have some podcasts that ended wrap up in about one hour. 
All right, this is a thread. A major scandal is happening right this moment on the House floor. Mainstream Democrats are quietly trying to ram through a $1.9 billion budget increase to the Capitol Police, military, and DHS, supposedly because January 6th showed that they need more funding. And this is from May 20th. For those of you new to this, one of the many things that went wrong on January 6th, insufficient funding for Capitol Police and bloated military bureaucracy was not one of them. Uh, this is part of a long pattern. Police work with liberal reformers to use their own violence, waste, brutality, and incompetence to justify increased budgets. Uh, it, went, it couldn't have happened without this partnership between... Oh, this is a... That's a okay. Um, all people of good... Will must speak out against this latest attempt by the Democrats to waste money expanding state bureaucracy, violence, militarization, and surveillance. All of these instruments will be turned against the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, very few people have opposed it. And then the update, which is devastating on May 20th, this dangerous bill passed 213 to 212 with AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib, and... Uh, Jamal Bauman uh, abandoning their positions and voting present instead of against it, thus supporting giving cops more money and weapons to use against the most vulnerable people. And that's pretty fucking awful. And uh, someone else in the thread mentioned, uh, not to play conspiracy theorist, but imagine if they intentionally understaffed for the thing they knew was going to happen, then used their failed response to argue for a bigger budget, which of course unfortunately does make sense and could be very well a possibility. Uh, goodness. And my comment um, was just considering how many police officers and military folks were involved in the January 6th uh, event, to call it that, attempted coup. Um, it sounds so stupid to, why would you increase funding for these groups? Why? And also, if militarization helped things, then America would be a pretty fucking awesome country in terms of everyone having what they needed. And the world would be a peaceful place. And the climate would not be at risk of uh, just completely decimating uh, life forms. <laughs> if, uh, if militarization worked, then uh, uh, everyone would be really fucking happy, and I wouldn't be doing this show right now. Or if I did, I'd be like, just, hey, I'm just going to play some music. How about that? I'm going to play music for two fucking hours. That's cool. No articles to read unless it's like, hey, some more good things happened. <sighs> I also posted that uh, I believe that the U.S. is going to militarize itself to death. And that's what happens when uh, all the funding goes to uh, weaponry and causing harm to people. People don't need punishment. That's so stupid. Okay. Well, now that I've talked myself into a sad corner, <laughs> how about time for another sad article? Or how about I just read the uh, headline so I don't get myself into a funk? Usually on Fridays I have to kind of, you know, create boundaries so I don't get fully uh, ugh, full of this. But okay, the military is creating a Gig Eagle app to Uber, Uber excuse me, <laughs> Uberize its workforce. That's my comments on it, a burp. Uh, which is probably a lot nicer than I could could than they deserve. Uh, we are creating a gig economy for the Department of Defense, said one official. And this is written by Edward Onguezo Jr. and this is from Vice. And my comments on this, and this came out on May twentieth, is uh, first of all, don't they have already have enough too much money? 
Um, and this sounds horrible. And also just a reminder that the Department of Defense used to be called the Department of War. And they're like, oh, this sounds bad. Let's change it to Department of Defense. And like, defending from what? Helping people? Stupid. All right, I'm going to try to read this article, and then if I get too angry, I'm going to stop reading it. Let's see. Whew, I did meditate this morning. All right. The Defense Innovation Unit, an organization within the Def Department of Defense focused on adopting commercial technology, is building an Uber-like app called Gig Eagle. I hope, you know, whatever tech folks, I mean, can fucking get rid of this nonsense. All right. To match part-time service members, they can't even, like, offer uh, militarized folks uh, or the military, like, benefits anymore. It's like, nope, we'll just, you, know, you can work 38, 39 hours a week. How about that? No health benefits. Okay. To match part-time service members possessing private sector experience with program managers. Blah, 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 blah. In December, Defense Innovation Unit received an additional $20 million from Congress to expand its research and development for budget for space programs. And I'm also just going to interrupt here. Um, and that there, there have been now they've been saying, oh, yeah, we see UFOs now. And a lot of folks are saying that this sounds like a reason why they would they would say that in order to uh, secure more financing for their space force and for the military. It's like, oh, we but there's another enemy. We got to uh, we got to uh, pay us more so we can uh, protect you all, mm, even though many folks are in debt and don't have housing and health care. OK. Oh, I, OK. This looks just awful. All right. Um, Mikey Verbruggen, a doctoral researcher at the International Security Center where she focuses on military technologies and innovation, told Motherboard, there's a real need driving the development of this app. First, the DoD is really lacking in technical talent. The way career trajectories are structured don't really reward or value technical skills, so the technical talent it does have is not necessarily used to its full potential. This is seen as one of its biggest obstacles for military innovation, Verbuggen told Motherboard. But a second and more abstract reason is the general fetish fetishization of Silicon Valley innovation culture at the DoD. Oh my. Oh boy. Uh, this makes sense not just because the DIU is, not to be confused with DUI, um, is headquartered in Silicon Valley, or because its top executives, including Pearson, who previously worked at Google, once worked there, but because the Pentagon has always had close ties with Silicon Valley. Margaret O'Mara, a historian at the University of Washington, wrote a deep dive into this history ooh, that not only highlighted the simultaneous alignment of the country's political, cultural, and technical elites around the view that Silicon Valley held the key to the future, but also the profound role that the U.S. government played in Silicon Valley's rise. Yikes. Um, a few paragraphs down. The danger in emulating Silicon Valley along with saber-rattling about a Chinese threat are, manif are manifest most clearly in some of the DOD's closest Silicon Valley partners. Eric Schmidt, former chairman and chief executive of Google, current chairman of the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence and the Defense Innovation Board wrote an op-ed last year warning that if the U.S. government didn't support Silicon Valley in competing with China, our very way of life could be threatened. Okay, what's our way of life right now? The fact that we uh, lock up poor people, the fact that uh, uh, we haven't invested in public transportation, um, the fact that uh, we went back against uh, installing solar panels, the fact that people are drowning in debt from student loans, credit card debt, healthcare debt, that people go bankrupt because of it. What's what's our what way of life is uh can be threatened 
more than it already is. The fact that police kill people on a daily basis. What? The call's coming from inside the house, people. All right, I'm not going to finish reading this article. That's gross. All right. I will provide a link, though, so if you want to uh, inform yourself better than I've informed myself, and uh, we'll provide a link there on our website. I also wanted to share the title of another article I was going to get to and um, going to be gentle with myself as it's already 1.30 and uh, might just play some music for the rest of the episode because we got to a lot to today. All right, and this is from The Atlantic, How I Became a Police Abolitionist. When people dismiss abolitionists for not caring about victims or safety, they tend to forget that we are those victims, those survivors of violence. And this is from January 6th, 2020, written by Derricka Purnell, who's a human rights lawyer. And I'll provide a link to this as well. And I may have read it on the show a couple years ago when this came out, but I do want to also just provide another link to this because I feel like this is a really informative article. And... Yeah, so I'll provide a link to that. And I think that's going to be it for me. Um, Also, they're looking to, the squad's looking to stop the sale of bombs to Israel, so hopefully that can happen. And, uh, yeah. Oh, there's just, there's a lot. But I also don't want to end on a super, like, oof, um, rough note. But, you know, here we are. So, how about some anti-war music? That'll that'll cheer us up. All right, I'll play with some more music for the rest of the episode. Got another 20 minutes coming up. Thanks so much for, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. Oh, also, I have a Patreon. I keep on forgetting to say that. If you support what you uh, hear, I mean, I come in every week to do this, and... Uh, if you're able to donate at all, go to our Patreon site at patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev. You can also find it at weeklyrev.org. Thanks so much, and have a great week, everyone.
So we left Beirut, Willa and I. He headed east to Baghdad and the rest of it. I set out north for home. I walked the five or six miles to the last of the street lamps and hunkered in the curbside dusk, holding out my thumb in no great hope of the ramshackle procession of homebound traffic. Success. An ancient Mercedes Dolmush, the ubiquitous Arab shared taxi drill. I turned out my pockets and shrugged at the driver. J'ai pas de l'argent. Venez, a soft voice from the back seat. The driver leant wearily across and pushed open the back door. I stooped to look inside at the two men there. One, the suited, bespectacled, moustached, irritated, distant, late. The other, the one who had spoken. Frail, fifty-five-ish, bald, sallow in a short-sleeved, pale blue cotton shirt with one bar over the breast pocket. A clock, maybe, slightly sunken in the seat. Venez, he said again, and smiled. Et j'ai pas de l'argent. Oui, oui, d'accord, venez. Are these the people that we should bomb? Are we so sure? Is this our pleasure, punishment, or crime? Is this a mountain that we really want to climb? The road is hard, hard and long. Put down that two by four, this man will turn you through his door. Swung through a U-turn and stopped in a cloud of dust. I 
opened the door and got out, but my benefactor made no move to follow. The driver dumped my guitar and rucksack at my feet and waving away my thanks returned to the boot, only to reappear with a pair of alloy crutches which he leant against the rear wing of the Mercedes. He reached into the car and lifted my companion out, only one leg, the second trouser leg Increased in pleasure, he set off in front of me, swinging his leg between the crutches with agonizing care up the dusty side road into the darkness. After half an hour, we'd gone maybe half a mile when on the right I made out the low profile of a building. He called out in Arabic to announce our arrival, and after some scuffling inside, a lamp was lit, and the changing angle of light in the white crack under the door signaled the approach of someone within. The door creaked open and there, holding a biblical-looking old nun, stood a squat, moustached woman, stooped, smiling up at us. She stood aside to let us in and as she turned I saw the reason for her stoop. She carried on her back a shocking hump. I nodded and smiled back at her in greeting, fighting for control. The gentleness between the one-legged man and his monstrous wife almost too much for me. His gentleness too much for us Should gentleness be filed Along with empathy We're filled for someone else's child Every time a smart bomb does it sums and gets it wrong Someone else's child You got Atticus Finch, you got Jade Russell You got freedom of speech, you got great beaches Wildernesses and molds Don't let the might of the Christian right Fuck it all up for you and the rest of the world I talked excitedly She went to take his crutches in routine of care He chiding gestured We have a guest 
She, embarrassed by her faux pas, took my things and laid them carefully in the corner. Do take. We sat on meager cushions in one corner of the single room. The floor was earth, packed hard, and by one wall a raised platform, some six feet by four, covered by a single sheet, a bed. The hunchback busied herself with small copper pots over an open hearth, and brought us tea, hot and sweet, and so to dinner, flat, unleavened bread, wafer-thin, cooked in an iron skillet in an hour, then folded and dipped into the soft insides of female sea urchins. My hostess did not eat. I had heard her. She would hear of nothing else. I was their guest. Then she retired behind a curtain and left the men to sip drinking thimbles full of arrack, carefully poured from a small bottle with a faded label. Soon she reappeared, radiant, carrying in her arms their pride and joy. Their child. I had never seen a squint like that. So Sophia, that as one eye looked out, the other disappeared behind its name. Not in my name, Tony, you great war leader, you. Terrorist till death, whosoever gets to frame the rules, history. Son of Sam In 1961 They took this child Into their home I wonder what Became of them In the cauldron that was Lebanon If I could find them now Could I make amends How does the story Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? 
Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny radio, my friend. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, L W F L M O Y T. L W A F L M O Y T. That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, Uh, Uh, let's watch full length. Oh, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See you next month. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior and I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. around in it on the freeway and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising that Cadillac on the freeway. Good feeling, I'll tell you. Can I see? Jesus. I am Teddy Bellis.
an adolescent. And I will cut the Hello, Blake. Henry. Yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, 
who danced till sunup, who caused the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rivaled the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and doll on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as movies over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for... <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage on the Mountain Ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your own tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> Philippines. Vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as the hoi hoi on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to take...